0: I'm John and this is D-O-L-W-2 episode 3 of The Rite of Sodomy. My, I'll start my reading with pages 794 to 796 of The Rite of Sodomy, Homosexuality and the Roman Catholic Church, volume 4, by Randy Ingle. When John C.C. C. Doe graduated in May 1986, O'Connell took the young man out for dinner, a show, and a sex session at a local hotel where he forced the graduate to perform sexual acts upon his person. When the plaintiff enrolled at a Conception Seminary in Jefferson City, O'Connell made occasional visits to the seminary and continued to force himself on the young seminarian. After O'Connell was appointed Bishop of Knoxville, the plaintiff thought the priest would become holier and leave him alone, but that turned out to be wishful thinking. Between 1988 and 1990, O'Connell continued to pressure the plaintiff for sexual favors. Their last physical contact occurred in 1991, when O'Connell met the plaintiff in Marion, Illinois, for a sex session in a hotel room. In 1994, the year that John T. Doe said he met with Bishop Boland, O'Connell started to make similar payoffs to John C.C. Doe totaling some $10,000 to help him buy a car and furniture. On March 9, 2002, John C.C. Doe called O'Connell and wanted to know if there were more than two victims, he and Dixon, but O'Connell did not respond. It is interesting that each victim thought he was O'Connell's other victim. O'Connell told him he wanted to salvage their relationship. In one email, O'Connell suggested that his sex abuse might have a redemptive quality to it. In the meantime, for whatever it may be worth, I'm offering part of this pain so that it can be redemptive in some way for yourself, wrote O'Connell. At this point, John C. C. told O'Connell he wanted an apology from the bishop. When the bishop did not respond, he cut off all communication with O'Connell and decided to take legal action. On March 18, 2002, the frantic O'Connell sent him a plea not to go public or sue, but it was too late. Victims seven and eight. Little information is available on the last two victims other than their claim that they were abused by O'Connell while students at St. Thomas Seminary. One is a 38-year-old father of three who said that he would rather die than tell his teenage children about the abuse. According to Reverend Joseph Starman, a retired priest from Winfield, Missouri, who knew the boy from seminary school days, the young man had told him that he had gotten very intimate with O'Connell, but did not volunteer any further details. The abuse victim said that he did not report the abuse because he thought no one would have believed him. He blotted the abuse from his mind, entered the military service after graduation, got married, learned a technical trade, and raised a family. When he learned of O'Connell's forced resignation on charges of sex abuse, he said all the pain and despair of his adolescent years came flooding over him. He said he could not go through a lawsuit that would burden him with more stress than he already had. Some kids never get over the trauma and pay the price for this kind of outrageous abuse their entire lives, Father Starman told an Associated Press reporter. O'Connell living at Trappist Monastery. Three days after his resignation, with the approval of the Vatican, Bishop O'Connell received permission from Reverend Francis Klein, the abbot of Mepkin Abbey, about 30 miles north of Charleston, South Carolina, to stay at the monastery. The facility had played host to other sex offenders, but O'Connell has been their longest resident. In April 2004, Mary Jeffcoat, a professional public relations spokesman for the Abbey, gave a brief interview to Palm Beach Post reporter John Lentigua on the status and disposition of O'Connell. Jeffcoat said that O'Connell participates in the life of the community and performs manual labor and menial tasks She made it clear that the facility is not a treatment center, but refused to state if he was receiving any kind of counseling or reparative therapy outside the compound. She did volunteer that civil authorities, that is police investigators and lawyers involved in litigation connected with O'Connell's crimes have access to him at the monastery. She said that O'Connell has had no contact with his victims since he came to the facility. Although the records show that as late as March 20, 2002, O'Connell was still trying to buy the silence of some of his victims. Spiritually speaking, Jeff Goat said that O'Connell is healing himself and turning to God. No mention was made of restitution for the crimes O'Connell committed and the lives he had destroyed. Before Lantigua left the monastery, Abbott Klein had told him that O'Connell had suffered quite a bit emotionally after resigning and during his early days of the monastery. He's getting better, Klein said. Bishop O'Connell died at Mepkin Abbey on May 4, 2012, withered the Diocese of Palm Beach. Immediately after Bishop Anthony O'Connell's resignation, Father James Murtaugh was appointed Apostolic Administrator for the Diocese. That October, Pope John Paul II sent troubleshooter Sean Patrick O'Malley, former Bishop of Fall River Diocese to Palm Beach to stabilize the Diocese. He was installed on on October 19, 2002. Ten months later, Bishop O'Malley was sent to replace Cardinal Law in Boston. Bishop Gerald Michael Barbarito, Succeeded Bishop O'Malley as Bishop of Palm Beach on July 1, 2003, and was installed on August 28, 2003, at the Cathedral of St. Ignatius Loyola as the fifth Bishop of Palm Beach. Bishop Barbarito, who left, hails from Brooklyn, the Diocese of Brooklyn. He was ordained to the priesthood by Bishop Francis J. Mugavaro at St. Francis of Assisi Church, Astoria, on January 31, 1976. In 1981, the homosexual prelate pulled Barbarito from St. Helen's Church in Queens and made him assistant chancellor. One year later, Mugavero sent him to the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. for two years, where Barbarito earned a licentiate in canon law upon his return to the Diocese of Brooklyn in 1984. Mugavero named him Vice Chancellor of the Diocese of Brooklyn. In 1994, Bishop Thomas V. Daley made Barbarito an auxiliary bishop and appointed him his personal secretary. On October 26, 1999, Pope John Paul II appointed Bishop Barbarito to the Diocese of Ogdensburg, New York. As Bishop of Ogdensburg, Barbarito permitted Father Richard Sparks, the notorious co-writer of the pro-homosexual sex instruction series, Growing in Love, to make a presentation at Wadham, Wadhams Hall Seminary in August 2001. After Bishop Bishops Thomas, Mr. Fixit, Daly, Joseph Simmons, and Anthony O'Connell it seems the people of the Diocese of Palm, Dese- Palm Beach deserve better. The reading that I just gave from The Rite of Sodomy, Homosexuality, and the Roman Catholic Church by Randy Ingle, Volume 4, pages 793, 796, is just, are just more examples of this disgusting behavior by priests, especially, or among the laity. If these priests and lay people want to continue in this behavior and won't be dissuaded from doing so, let them leave the church and go on doing whatever they want, the same as other straight people who have left the church, in order to live in a way that they want and be as promiscuous and lascivious and licentious as they want and don't want to be corrected about all of that or impeded in that or forced into secrecy, hypocrisy, and closets about it by the church. The church is for for those who want to come out of their worldliness, sinfulness, bad habits, and thinking and have the Lord Jesus Christ help them to do so. And not just rationalize, justify, and excuse whatever they want to do, and twist and interpret it so that it isn't sin at all anymore, according to them. This is what Satan wants Catholics and all other people to do. Just water down and minimize and deny the concept of sin a little at a time so that he won't wake them up to what they are doing and make them revolt against it, but rather continue to hypnotize them and make them drowsier and drowsier, to lead them down the garden path to wherever wherever he wants to lead them. He is like the Pied Piper of Hamelin, leading children away by his music. As C.S. Lewis, wrote in the Screwtape Letters, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. Yes, Satan tells people, there is no devil and no sin and no hell because he couldn't care less if people believe that he exists as long as they do what he wants them to do and go wherever he leads them. If people don't believe in sin or in hell concerning what they want to do, even if they think that some other people are doing wrong things and should go to any hell that exists, there is no reason for them to not do whatever they want since there are no consequences for their doing so according to them. In fact, Satan works best and most freely when people don't believe that he exists or that hell and sin exist for them. If even even these people don't believe that the law puts people into jail or prison, and that makes this and every other country police state, instead of people's violations of the law putting them into jail, and prison, why should they think that God put people into hell instead of their violations of God's law putting them there? Hell is just consequences for our wrong actions. Why does every place in the world have to go along with the popular opinion that there is nothing wrong with homosexuality and be infiltrated by that opinion and not be able to dissent from that opinion? These pro-homosexual people want and demand the freedom to dissent from the view that homosexuality is wrong, but don't want to give that same freedom to dissent from popular opinion to the Catholic Church and not be infiltrated by that popular opinion and led towards acceptance of it or de facto acceptance of it while still officially and formally condemning and rejecting it. There has to be at least one place in the world that can condemn popular views that homosexuality is right in order to maintain balance in the world and provide a way out, an alternative for those who want to come out of sin and homosexuality. This is a single standard instead of the double standard of only pro-homosexual people having the freedom to dissent while denying that freedom to those who say that homosexuality is wrong, especially in the church. There are more than enough places in the world where homosexuals are entirely accepted and infiltration by those who don't accept homosexuality isn't permitted without every place having to accept homosexuality entirely and allow infiltration of their organization by the view that homosexuality is right. This is merely the consistent practice of live and let live and do unto others as you would have others do unto you. We even do that for the Nazis and the Ku Klux Klan which are the most despicable groups in the world. What we even do for such despicable groups as these and give them the right to their own views and may they all burn in hell so long as they keep their view, rotten views to themselves and don't impose their hateful views, nonsense on other people. That should certainly be given to the Catholic Church Which is only teaching the love of God. The slippery slope of the Catholic Church's forcing the Catholic Church is being infiltrated by pro-homosexual homosexuals and led into acceptance of homosexuality will lead it into the acceptance of abortion, extramarital and premarital sex, pederasty, bestiality, and every other sin eventually too. The Russians have been persecuting, torturing, attacking, and killing gay people because they believe that homosexuality is a sin. But all of those actions are as simple as they say that homosexuality is. And you can't fight a sin with a sin, since that only contributes to the sin. You can think and say that homosexuality is as wrong as you want, but that doesn't give you the right to do those things people and now a reading from the catechism of the catholic church Uh, 2357 to 2359 chastity and homosexuality homosexuality refers to relations between men or between women who experience an exclusive or predominant sexual attraction toward persons of the same sex It has taken a great variety of forms through the centuries and in different cultures. His psychological genesis remains largely unexplained, basing itself on sacred scripture which presents homosexual acts as acts of grave depravity. Tradition has always declared that homosexual acts are intrinsically disordered. They are contrary to the natural law. They close the sexual act to the gift of life. They do not proceed from a genuine effective and sexual complementarity. Under no circumstances can they be approved. The number of men and women who have deep-seated homosexual tendencies is not not negligible. This inclination, which is objectively disordered, constitute, constitutes for most of them a trial. They must be accepted with respect, compassion, and sensitivity. Every sign of unjust discrimination in their regard should be avoided. These persons are called to fulfill God's will in their lives, and if they are Christians, to unite to the sacrifice of Lord's cross the difficulties they may encounter from their condition. Homosexual persons are called to chastity by the virtues of self-mastery that teach them inner freedom at times by the support of disinterested friendship by prayer and sacramental grace they can and should gradually and resolutely approach christian perfection all right this is all i have to read from right now or comments i have to make so i'll end it here Uh, may god bless this podcast and may the holy spirit use it to touch people's hearts